Hey, Hit Factory listeners, it's Aaron. Thanks so much for tuning in to a very special bonus episode on the 1994 film Clifford. Uh, it's a film we selected after the news of the great Charles Grodin's passing last week. He was a singular comedic talent, and he will be sorely missed. To honor his legacy, we assembled a fantastic lineup of Clifford and Grodin enthusiasts to guest on the show. One of those guests was friend of the pod, Chris Woodward, of the Parents Just Don't Understand podcast. He was a great guest. He made some terrific points, got a lot of laughs. But unfortunately, it seems we may have summoned the spirit of that miscreant 10-year-old boy into the room with us, and a significant portion of Chris's audio was lost, taken to Dinosaur World, never to return. You'll hear Chris pop back up around the 40-minute mark through the end of the episode. We enjoyed having Chris so much that he is already scheduled to come back and join us on a future episode on another excellent film in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that and enjoy the show. everyone it's hit factory i'm aaron i'm carly and uh, we have a very special bonus episode of hit factory for you today this week we received the the tragic news of the passing of uh, a legendary comedic performer charles groden and uh our, our minds here at on the factory floor went immediately to his role in 1994's clifford alongside martin short and mary steenbergen and also, our minds went directly to all of the people in our our circle, our social uh, collective here, who have asked to talk about Clifford on the program, uh, disparately and and at different times, all of them. And so we've gathered them here today. We've assembled a sort of Avengers here um, to discuss to discuss Clifford. And uh, I think we should just introduce them now. First off, we've got the, the very first person in our world to ask to join us uh, for, for an episode on Clifford. Uh, his name is Chris Clayman, and he's a good friend of the pod. Chris, thanks so much for being here. Very happy to be here. I'm really excited. But I mean, bummed about Charles Grodin, but happy to be here. And next we have now a, a two-time guest of the Hit Factory. Uh, it's Brianna Ziegler back again so soon. Brianna, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me to talk about one of the best films ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Joy to be back. Well, so <laughs> you were on you. you were on the show just a couple of weeks ago talking about Cronenberg's Existence, and when we were initially arriving at a new film, you you threw this one out there out of a sort of a short list that we had offered and said it's that or Clifford. Um, <laughs> And lo and behold, uh, you know, it, events transpired that that mean now that uh, that you get to be back for Clifford. Yes, <laughs> so thankfully, thankfully, Charles Grodin died so I could come back on your podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, I'm hoping we didn't I'm hoping we didn't do anything or put anything into the universe for <laughs> not initially not. doing this show. We did not. No, of course <laughs> it's not, not our fault. We don't have that much power. That's fair. 
powerless in all of this. We're <laughs> we're simply bystanders in the great cosmic happenings. Um, and finally, here on the program, we have the host of Parents Just Don't Understand podcast. Chris Woodward is here as well. I'm glad that we're finally getting a chance to do this. You've been on our, our list of people to to get on the program for a little while now or to, to ask to join us. And uh, when we were, uh, I don't even know what the word is, eulogizing uh, Grodin in, on, on Twitter this Tweet week. eulogizing. Yeah. Um, you, you were immediately on like, love this movie. Let's, let's talk about it. So um, I think we've assembled a crack team here. Uh, it's very early in the morning on the West Coast where we're getting together here um, on, on our East Coasters time. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out how to say words, still trying to figure out how to compose sentences. <laughs> You're doing great. You're uh, doing phenomenally. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. But you're paid to say that. No, nope. you you have. No one's to. paying me. I make no money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we should just start for, uh, just off the bat here, and just everyone, you know, share a little bit about their experience in history with 1994's Clifford. Brianna, I would love to hear from you first um, because you <laughs> you were definitely like, yeah, it's it's either this movie or it's Clifford, and I was like, I want to know what her story is with Clifford. Oh, it's not that insane. I just had Clifford on the brain when you asked me, and I realized your podcast was like a 90s podcast, and I had just rewatched Clifford, and I was like, mm. this movie is so amazing, because I had only watched it, I only recently got into Charles Grodin, like in the past few months, and I watched Clifford for the first time in like December, I think, of, of this past year, and I watched it, and I was like, I remember thinking like, oh, this is pretty good. And I like laughed a lot at the end. I didn't think it was like amazing, but it like grew on me over time. I like thought about it a lot. And then hmm. I forget what it was that made me want to revisit it. Cause I think I revisited it. And then I revisited the heartbreak kid. And I was like, oh my God, I've been like missing out on this like amazing comedy uh, genius. Um, hmm. But something made me want to rewatch Clifford and I rewatched it and just like laughed all the way through. I can't remember. Maybe I did watch The Heartbreak Kid first. I feel like I watched something with Grodin right before I rewatched it. And it was like, I really was able to like fully appreciate his particular brand of like comedy acting. So then I watched it again with like those, those fresh eyes or to rewatch Clifford. And it really allowed me to just fully like love everything he's doing uh, in Clifford and I laughed all the way through and then I re and then I watched the heartbreak hit and uh and yeah I was like oh my god this is this man is like amazing but um yeah that's that's my only thing with with Clifford I just think it's such a like I think it's such a funny like concept for a movie also like in, when I when I when I uh watched it for the first time I was like this child is like a terrorist He's like a domestic terrorist. Yes. This is like a horrifying film. Like it is sort of like a horror film in a way. It is a horror. In movie. many it really ways, is. actually. It really and is. So we should talk weird. about that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, no, no. I just, I really like, like, I haven't been with it for like a, a long time, but I just like, I like fell in love with, it. I fell in love with Clifford. And what you said about Charles is so true, and and we can get into this, but I, the, one of the things that's so phenomenal about him is that you know a lot of what he's doing in so much of his comedy and in so much of his acting is I mean subtle is a a 
trite word, but it's subtle and, and like deeply human. And so if you're expecting something over the top initially, um, a lot of what he's doing can sort of fly right past you. And that's one of the things that I really love about Clifford is that, um, you know, the first half of the movie, he's, he's doing a lot, but he's not like really telling you about it. But uh, unlike another actor in Clifford, another unlike actor. another actor in Clifford, <laughs> but he also Very gets true. unhinged. The way he like gets progressively more unhinged is yes. even more satisfying because he comes from that very calm, collected, cool, like well-to-do businessman. Mm-hmm. But like his, other than Clifford, like his life is slowly like falling apart. Yes. And then by the time they get to Dinosaur World, it's like, I just can't stop laughing the entire time when he says, um, totally. when he's like mocking Clifford and he says, um, I just made the bestest nuclear bomb because he's like thinking, <laughs> I forget, it's like some, he's dreaming up some scenario where he doesn't allow Clifford to die and he saves him and then like Clifford actually does become a terrorist. <laughs> I think that's what happens because he's yeah he's weighing whether he should let the child die or not. He's like he's like looking so at the service to a greater good that it yes. would be if he murdered this child. But he really just, works through it for such a long time. He really he does. <laughs> and Enough he takes time it so to, to run that ride like ten times. Yes. <laughs> And that whole that whole like set is also so cool. The matte paintings are really cool. The whole like mm-hmm. animatronic, like the, just the whole like setup of the ride is really neat. Beyond the practical the effects in the last sequence are something to behold for sure. Yeah. Chris Clayman, what about uh, what about you? What's uh, what's your history with Clifford? Why did you initially ask to be a part? of specifically a Clifford episode of Hit Factory. How deep should we go on this? Uh, <laughs> we've, well, we've, we've got an hour, bud. That's so. true. <laughs> well, this was part of the regular like VHS collection rotation for me as a kid. I feel like a lot of what I watched as a kid was like the, the shitty kid series. So Problem Child 2. Beethoven is definitely in that vein, right? Grodin's playing a very similar character. Beethoven is a lot like Clifford. Mm-hmm. Um so just watching a lot of those as a kid and the ending of Clifford always stood out to me and something that like just was kind of uh, just scanned onto my brain throughout my childhood, even if I forgot about the movie itself. As an adult, I guess I heard about it again from Tom Sharpling and The Best Show because uh, him and John Worcester uh, were obsessed with that movie. And what they would do in The Best Show often is try to sneak quotes from Clifford into their show all the time and uh kind of helped reappraise it uh as a not a good movie but a yeah funny a funny and entertaining one so this soon became the one movie that i forced friends to watch you know yeah i have that one movie that you really need to force your friends to sit down and watch with you and clifford was had become that for me so I've I've kind of been an evangelist going and basically holding captive screenings for friends in you know <laughs> random places and be like, you're gonna watch this and wait wait for them to sl- slowly buy into it, uh, and it's it's been great. But yeah, the movie is funny as hell. Uh, what else can you say? It's it's not good. I, I don't even think it's Grodin's best performance or anything. But even just watching it this time was just as magical as the first. 
what's really funny about its reappraisal is I I tuned into it on uh, HBO Max this time around, mm-hmm. and before the movie started, I don't know if any of y'all watched it on HBO, but I did. With the Turner Classic idea. Movies thing, yeah, they had a guy in a suit come out and introduce the damn movie. They did on HBO Max. Yes, yeah. it's it a TCM style, like yeah, 1994's <laughs> Clifford, starring Martin Short. Well, it really is like a TCM person too, isn't it? Because he mentions like being co-host with Ben Mankiewicz. Yeah. And is like the 1994 Paul Flaherty film uh, starring Martin Short and <laughs> the great Charles Grodin. Martin Short was already 40 years old when he assumed the role of Clifford, the 10-year-old boy. It's like we were about to watch Touch of Evil, but like we we're watching fucking <laughs> Totally. Clifford, so, he had um... the like watercolor seamless behind him, you know, yeah. from like those those mid 90s little sets so something something is sticking into the brains of a lot of i guess millennials and culture makers now that say yeah clifford needs to be seen as like a true classic (laughs) and so here we are well particularly because a lot of the i think some of the funniest exchanges in the movie have to do with things that maybe land a little bit better when you're an adult, right? Because they're about like kind of adult themes of like responsibility and work and, um, you know, who's allowed to act a certain way and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing that, the thing that I was talking to Aaron about recently, when we were talking about this movie is that even when you think about all the other movies where an adult is playing a child or like, a child trapped in an adult's body, right? Like big or Jack or Mm -hmm. some of the other ones sort of around the same time. None of them just posit without explanation that the 40 year old man is the boy, right? Like there's (laughs) always, there's always some reason. And I, I was, I was telling Aaron, I was like, there's only, it really is specific to Martin Short's comedy that, that it's, that that's how they approach this particular character and and this particular premise because Martin Short, you know, on SNL and even on his days um, on Second City was always sort of aging up and down in his characters. He was sort of up, down and sideways in all of the, the different characters that he would play. And so, like, I remember watching this and having some familiarity with Martin Short already because I watched it after it was already out on VHS and one of the things that we learned when we were researching the the movie is that it was shot in 1990 which is very clear when you're watching it and wasn't released until four years later so I think I probably watched it like 95 or something it was on VHS and I had enough familiarity with Martin Short that like I too did not bat an eye at the idea of this man playing a little boy because I had seen him on SNL already and and was familiar enough with his comedy that um, it made sense to me. And and the more I thought about it as I've gotten older, the more I realized, like, there's no other film that does that. <laughs> and just, like, it's totally believable, too. Like, Martin Short is a small man, yes, but he just is, like, perfect. <laughs> he gets all of the sort of, like, you know, the the gestures of a child and his face is pristine and he's completely hairless. I don't know if you guys noticed that. I mean, I'm a woman. So I was like, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> shaved his entire body to do this movie. <laughs> 
probably waxed it, but or waxed it. Yeah. You never know. That's commitment to the role. Yes. But you're so right. You know, like in Big, it's the fantastical and magical. In uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Jack, <laughs> it is you know a, a medical condition. So right. you've got like both ends of the spectrum. And in this one, it's just like no, he's just he's a ten year old boy. Like that. That is the explanation. It's perfect. <clears throat> and you know, Chris, you're you're bringing something else up too, which is a thing that we were kind of talking about before we sat down to record which is like it's weird to kind of place exactly who this movie is for because it's it's far too adult for kids but clearly seems to be a kids movie um but also you know i think that adults at the time very reasonably probably scoffed at this or 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 looked at this and were like this this doesn't no like you know just just rejected it you know it's just the the bot their body rejected clifford um (laughs) So, yeah, I, you know, it's it's just one of those really fascinating, interesting movies that like is almost by by virtue and, and by nature of, of what it is and how it plays out. One that would not receive its its actual acclaim and its real audience until people who grew up with the movie and saw it and were a little bit mystified by it got into an age where, as Chris Clayman said, you know, are kind of shaping culture, shaping narratives for media and uh, and now finally reassessing and reappraising this thing that's like oh yeah do you remember how like fucking weird clifford was like let's go back and revisit that and of course it's like you know it's like crate digging or or you know discovering this sort of like hidden gem as what as happens with so many of these things i just want to push back on this idea that uh, carly brought up i am not convinced that clifford is actually a child and i think that's part of my struggle with this film because although he does act like a kid one thing I noticed particularly on this viewing, he's really horny. He's horny. In a <laughs> Yo, way he's incredibly horny. horny. That's right. He is. So, yeah. In uh, in his defense, though, <laughs> like in his defense, it is Mary Steenburgen. It's though, Mary Steenburgen. Like, who is just like I- impossibly radiant. hot in this movie. She's radiant. But just leaning into the idea that it could be a horror film, what if Clifford <laughs> is not a ki- a kid? Mm-hmm. And that, that became a question a that kind of lingered in the back of my mind during this. Like, is it like the orphan where uh, he's actually uh, yeah. this like ageless, uh, <laughs> ageless oh demon Who... man, right? Um, that's just like that's... wants to be horny for a lot of his like family's uh, girlfriends or something. Okay, let's swim in this for a that's second really because this is fascinating. Are you um are there particular points in the movie where you feel like it is signaling to us that he is indeed not a human boy? So, okay, yeah, I have plenty of evidence to this. <laughs> um, one thing that got me too is like why would Clifford know this is skipping ahead in the film a little bit, but why would Clifford know this like 40s era show tune about San Francisco? <laughs> Word for word. Who taught him that? He's 10 years old. That's very true. So very that true. was weird. You know? Um, but yeah, I think mainly just like the like exhibit A would be he's watching uh, – uh, he's up at 2 a.m. watching uh, some do- nature, like some do- documentary showing a bunch of women with their boobs out. He's walking mm-hmm. up and like basically purring around me, Mary Seam Virgin, right? So like <laughs> – He's he's got a libido, like in the, that's yeah. not a ten year old that's not a ten year old vibe from what I remember. So um, there's Isn't something. Isn't it though? 
well, isn't it a ten-year-old boy's w- vibe? Kind of, maybe, but <laughs> I think you're so right. I mean, I I find Chris Clayman's argument here that he is in fact not a ten-year-old boy fascinating, and I think there's probably something to that. I was also sort of thinking about this as a a pretty good like without saying it, but also pretty explicitly in some of the dialogue, but even just in the casting of Martin Short as a 10-year-old boy, if we're going with that premise, and seeing him, you know, sort of play out um, the various feelings and, and tantrums and things that he does, I was thinking about that very thing, Chris, that, like, I remember feeling, and maybe this is also because I think you know, girls mature faster just biologically. But I remember feeling at 10 years old, like pretty adult, like I wanted to do adult things. I tried coffee for the first time, like all that weird shit that you do when you're a kid and you're like, I'm a woman of the world. And 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 then to your point, like was also thinking about that, that casting a 40 year old man as a 10 year old boy really does speak to that idea of like and then once we get older we're still very much steeped in the feelings we're opining for our childhood we're we're um and I think in a lot of ways not just nostalgic for our childhood but there are things that I still feel frustrated by that as you said feel very much like the feelings of a child where like there are times when I'm just like I I can't do this adult thing or like I am you know I'm bemoaning sort of just what adults are capable of and like that's scary and sad to me you know these feelings that I definitely had when I was a child but but also am feeling them as an adult so yeah it's it's also, both could be true, I think, potentially. <laughs> I, I think I'm buying into Chris Clayman's idea here. Because, like, it, when we're flashing forward into the year 2050, like, if, if you did the math, like, even if it was he was 10 in 1990, that's what, that's only 70 years old? He's way closer to, like, Prince Philip than he is to, like, 70. You know what I mean? And the uh, he he is apparently, like, the head of Wayward Boysville. Which means limitless access to adrenochrome. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> he <laughs> he could very well be 100 years old and just, like, you know, still uh, maintaining a level of, like, uh, vitality and, and uh, virility by feasting on these boys. Which may be why he's trying to keep Corey Matthews from running away. <laughs> Is, like, if you leave, I lose my food source and I, and I wither away. He's like a cicada waiting in cycles to reawaken his mother. <laughs> Clifford X. Clifford like- 10, I guess. <laughs> I guess we should just probably talk a little bit about the movie and, <laughs> and its plot and and all of this because we're we're, you know, dancing around some of it here. I don't I don't even know where to begin now. I guess the beginning is a good place to start. With with young Clifford. Uh, flashing back to his his time as a boy. He's aboard a flight with his family. Um, his father is despicable. Like, even for, I mean, man, but I get it. You know, you, you see the limits uh, that that uh, people have and, and that Clifford 
pushes people too mm -hmm. and you kind of richard sympathize with so the father funny. he's Sorry. so I funny just to say, richard kind in that very short role is so good <laughs> no he really he's is. perfect and like I, forgive me i don't know the name of the actress but like the the toy like zand out wife who like yeah <laughs> is very clearly just like depressive and alcoholic and just like so detached and removed from everything she's like clearly resenting her entire life she can barely like force out like anger towards clifford and she's like we're not going on vacation it's a work trip your father's been very clear about that <laughs> she's just like absolutely miserable but both of them are doing so much with so little in that opening before uh, before Clifford downs a plane, um, which which speaks to which speaks to the terrorist activity it's here. True, it does. Oh, yeah. The part where Richard Kind gets up and says, "Let's roll," you know, before he like grabs Clifford from the cockpit is, <laughs> yeah, certainly certainly signaling to something. It's yeah. I also love there was something, not just because they were in an airplane, but it it sort of harkened back to. Just those movies that that I think were of a, a certain era that in 1990, you know, they were just on the edge of kind of like finishing out. I was thinking specifically of the movie Airplane and some of the bits in the cockpit. And that particular sequence was reminiscent of that movie for me, but also sort of made me think about how like it, I just I might be making this up, but I feel like. In the 80s, there were a lot of movies that like had sort of like zany things happening on planes. I don't know why I feel that way. And I just liked the, I liked the idea of Clifford sort of like getting up and opening his arms, like airplaning his arms and and beating them past the head of every single person sitting in the aisle. And that was just like such a funny bit. And it's so simple. And I bring this up because one of the things that I love about this movie that I think we sort of lose, you know, in, in comedies sort of later in the decade and, and further into, you know, the aughts and, and today is that like, I think, I think comedies back in the day in the eighties and nineties in particular, um, just were better at doing like the gag stuff, like, really simply like if you think about Beethoven Chris since you brought it up like that movie is just non-stop gags like that's all it is it's just like slapstick comedy with the dog for an entire like hour and a half two hours and it's hilarious and you think about that now and you're just like you have all these like you know heady existential comedies for children that are like animated and you know breaking the fourth wall and doing all these things and like um, I just can't picture like a gag, like a child just standing up and putting his arms out and hitting the head of every adult that he walks by, like being funny and, and like being winding in a up movie. for the last one, winding up for the last one, the old guy. But I do love that about this movie that it's just so much of the comedy is, is just like really straightforward. Um, but also, I don't know. I don't want to say heady. There, it just it does make you think. Some of the some of the comedy does sort of make you think. Yeah, that we kind of lose out on is is plain comedy a, a dead art, everybody? Because I Not feel like it's Soul kind Plane. of taboo now. Soul Plane, I think, was the last of its kind. Yeah. What about <laughs> Soul Plane? Snakes when on a plane. Oh, that, snakes like, on a plane. Like two thousand nine, yeah. I think, or ten. Yeah, For, firmly in the post nine eleven era about you know stopping a 
stopping a terrorist force on a plane. Right. But like, you know, we were, you know, after after Grodin passed this last week, we were watching Midnight Run and, you know, famously has like that that incredible like bit where Grodin is like panicking as the plane's about to take off and, you know, doing the like, these these things go down. No, these things go down. These things go down. They go. It's too big. It's too big. It can't go up. They go down. It's too big. It can't go up. I love that. I see that. That line, that line was probably the hardest. I laughed. I was, it's, yes. I mean, it's maybe one of the funniest things I've, I've ever seen. But like, but oh you just God. like don't do that anymore. And like, you know, it's it's just fun. And people smoking on the planes, and you know, people making these jokes about planes crashing, right? And, and also like leaving a ten year old boy at an airport by himself, and like the uncle just coming and picking him up. It's like, it 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 feels like we don't we don't get to use the airport very much anymore as a place for comedy unless the, the, unless the gag is that somebody is detained for being presumed to be a terrorist. I feel like even in like, you know, the, the buddy road movies, like we do date, you know, recently mm-hmm. I can think of the one with like Zach Galifianakis and uh, Robert Downey Jr. Right. Um, that, that came out not terribly long ago now, but that, I mean, that's the bit, right. It's like, he says bomb on a plane and, and, you know, meet the parents does the same thing where right. he says the word bomb and gets detained. Like we just aren't allowed to do anything else in airports or on planes anymore. Yes. Cancel culture strikes again. <laughs> I feel like there's also, um, I forget what it was that you just said that made me think this immediately, but there was like a disregard for children in like 20th century movies, which I feel yes. like yes. really, really ties into Clifford that we don't see anymore and which I kind of miss like (laughs) in a weird way like you watch all these movies and all the adults fucking hate kids and like I feel like we're supposed to hate them too (laughs) and it's just kind of I mean it's not nice but it's like funny and like I feel like this movie really plays into that like super prevalent trope or just like Nair- like thing with movies in like I feel like the maybe 80s and 90s and you do not see that anymore children in movies are like they have to be loved yes it's like if if the adult hates the child the adult is clearly evil whereas like the adults hating the child weren't always like the bad characters in these older movies I think we should go back to hating kids it's just yeah. oh my gosh it's just one it's just, thousand it's, percent it's so funny to me how much how much adults hated children in like 80s and 90s movies in a lot of these too it's either it's either like the that the uh the child deserves to be hated or they should they deserve to be exploited to make you show that you're a very loving adult who loves kids yeah that's really like yes. Charles right Scruton's only used for for uh yeah. mason i mean clifford you know so um, mason, i want to say mason, mason? I mean, he calls him clinton at one clinton. point too. yeah and hitler but uh you know that's like the only way he sees him so when when clifford's in the airport waiting for him and uh he's got that sign up that says like uh like i love my uncle martin or whatever yeah (laughs) like it's like perfect i get to use this like child to show that i'm like a really loving adult Uh, yes it's so so blatantly cynical yes and it's like they're human beings right like they're not these like pure cellular makeups of like angelic energy they're humans and they have like human responses to things and 
I have this one card that I got from this oh is my a, God, this, this is, is so a side good. story that is related to this. <laughs> um I have I have a card that I bought at like some like art show and and I bought it because it was this artist who who was doing doodles and and the card says um I heard every or everyone told me that your baby's a big idiot or something. It says, I, I heard from everyone your baby's a fat little idiot. Yes, I heard from everyone your baby's a fat little idiot. And I was like, I fucking love this card. I'm buying it. Because I was like, I'm totally going to send this to someone. I've had this card for like eight years because I can't send it to anyone. Because you can't, that joke is not funny anymore, right? Like it is, <laughs> it is, you, you aren't allowed to hate children. You aren't allowed to say, your baby's a fat little idiot, right? Like, even if you're kidding, and even if your baby is a fat little idiot, which they all are, they They all are. are. (laughs) Like, baby. (laughs) It's like, obviously, don't be mean to children. Like, you shouldn't be mean to children, but it's like, it is like a lost art of making fun of children, especially in movies. (laughs) I think there's, you know, it's, I, I read recently a book by Catherine Liu and it's called uh, Virtue Hoarders, the case against the professional managerial class. And she talks about the PMC and kids. And she talks specifically about this sort of like enshrinement of the child that we have to the point of commodifying the child, right? Like we've sort of turned them into these pristine little um like data makers and and they have to be managed and and cared for in a certain way and you can't say certain things or do certain things and there's a strategy around like raising a child now and and so i think what you're getting at brianna um and chris is is that this idea of hating a child or having you know perfectly human emotions toward another human being regardless of how old they are has become sort of akin to uh, child abuse in today's day and age which is why it's not a joke anymore we've we've become this sort of overly sensitive overly sensitive um, culture where children are really fragile and uh, you know they have to be treated as such and they have to be managed and cared for and and you can't have emotional responses to them you have to ask their permission for everything and i don't know that's i'm i'm not commenting <laughs> on parenting styles here but before we move on to the next thing I, I just jumping off of this there is to me like a now classic saved on every device i've ever owned uh like imager list of just gifts and like short videos uh, that's called Children Demolition. And it is just probably like 150 little gifts of kids just like getting their shit rocked by themselves, mind you. Like it's not like them like getting hit or anything. Like it's like kids being idiots where like they try to go down a slide and can't balance the weight of their heads and like fall off <laughs> nice. of it. Or like, or like, you know, like you know, like slapping a cat and the cat slaps them back and they like fall into a pool or so. Like, it's just like, it's so good. And like, it's, it's a litmus test with like people that I like now, you know, when I engage with someone for, you know, the off time or whatever, but like, 
when I show them children demolition, if they're laughing, like it's a good sign. And otherwise it's like, we're probably never going to hang out again. Cause right. like you, horrified. you are just terrified by what's going on inside my mind, but it is, it is very, very funny. Maybe I'll link to it in the show description oh, yeah. <laughs> for people to see. I want to see this. I think this um, point about children sort of being a reflection of like, uh, you know, adults egos or, or some sort of commentary on on their performance. I think we should talk about potentially like what going back to Chris Clavin's original um, argument. Like, there's this way to read. Uh, it's an obvious way to read the movie, which is that Clifford represents the id, and sort of like all of our baser, more sort of like lizard brain uh, desires you know unhinged of just anger and uh gluttony and lust and um you know all of the deadliest sins and i i wonder what you all think about that that's an interesting idea i kind of do like that because he really he really he really is like unfettered id clifford i mean he doesn't have like he really it's it's fascinating to me the way his character just doesn't have a conscience and then somehow gains one and becomes whatever the fuck he is a monk yeah. or whatever he is right. so that, yes. i don't really like whatever word it is to describe the head of that boys thing wayward I, boys I want to know how that happened right that, yeah. like however long year gap between just being like an evil little mini terrorist and uh and becoming like a religious whatever the fuck um, well, but yeah, no, he is. He is very much just pure evil. Like, there's no, um, there's nothing good about him except how funny he is, of course. But like, that's it. <laughs> every time Clifford's desires are not met, every time that uh, his his like singular goal of of getting to Dinosaur World is is curbed, is because of adult obligation. It's like. Groden has to like work on a big project. They have to go to a social function that they know is going to be miserable. Um, they have to stop their wife or or their fiance from uh, being unfaithful. <laughs> you know, like it's like all of this like shit that comes along with like being a, a person of conscience and like an adult or or so we th- we think is like something that ends up consuming that void or consuming that like open and available time that could otherwise be spent enjoying dinosaur world. And it's funny that, you know, Brianna, you mentioned this kind of like pendulum swing, right? That like the, the, the ultimate catharsis of the movie is like him going from the, the evil of the id all the way to like the other end of like the super ego. Like he does not find a middle ground. He like goes all the way to like what we assume is some level of like almost asceticism, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. this, this kind of like, monkish like you know pastoral kind of quality that chris is shaking his head it's, like it's he just disagrees. so lame no i just hate i just hate the bookends of this movie i feel like it screams like someone in an office at orion picture saying like uh the shit you made is fucked up you guys got to figure out how to like tie huh? some tie some yeah. little wholesomeness around completely it, so. it, it feels really like adults it. It feels like adults in the room saying, like, no, 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 he's got to end up being being good. He's got to end up learning from his point. mistakes. I bet that and I also hated the the narrative device of him telling the story in the past. I just found that to be so unnecessary. And, like, the to your point, Chris, you know, him sort of 
you know, telling this story about the way that he once was to another young boy to turn him around in some way, just like I did not need that. I just kind of wanted it to be the story about Clifford. Like we drop in on him in the plane and we end exactly. the way that we end with we could even end at the at the at the marriage scene. Who cares? Right. But I did not <laughs> need old Clifford recounting his his days as as a boy to uh, a wayward boy to turn him around i i completely agree with you Who, that by that the way and like i just caught this decision. i caught this on this viewing this way this wayward boy that he's trying to bring back into the flock blew up the gym at the, yeah. at the school would you accept <laughs> this kid back into your he blew up the gym yeah oh, he blew yeah. up the gym also a terrorist also a terrorist also a terrorist <laughs> I had that same thought. I was like, it's, it's, is it weird to me? Am I just like too like used to this narrative now of, of pedophiles in the church? But I had the same thought. I was like, why does it have to be a, a wayward boys school? Wayward boysville. Well, maybe that's, you know, it's, it's an extension of the horror, right? It's that he's found a way to more subtly, uh, you know, invoke that evil into the world. (laughs) It's 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 we're getting we're getting really dark ah, with this one this is, today. There's Jesus. a lot of layers to this. Yeah. See, there's so, so much to Clifford. Well, I mean, at the very least, it it almost reads like a tragedy, you know, where it's like here's a here's a young boy who's like um, a wayward boy, if we want to use a phrase from the film, and you know, it, putting this evil out into the world, you know, completely completely controlled by the aid, completely controlled by impulse and and human desire, and at the end of the film, he's reflecting on it and and talking about his reformation from the perspective of someone who uh at at least to a a more kind of secularized audience could be seen as someone who has rid themselves and shed themselves of any enjoyment or desire in their lives and like gone the entire opposite direction and it doesn't it's not like a happy ending you know like him seeing the the fault in his ways and and becoming a good you know upstanding member of society it's him like resigning himself to being miserable all the time mm. let me put you up both all on the spot and like if you were the studio head and were asked to Im- imagine what clifford would be like in 2050 what he'd be doing i mean great question he'd you, be a cop how would you rewrite this okay. a cop. <laughs> <laughs> cliff clifford would be a cop he would be reformed he would realize that he needs to be good at, but he'd still be the same shitbag like you know, violent, you know, oh, idiot he'd terrorist. Be, he'd be a shitbag, not like Bobby and Twin Peaks. Well, there that is route. that there. <laughs> there is that that stat. Uh, I I can't remember where I heard this recently, but there is that stat that is something like, you know, one of the one of the sort of through lines, the stati- statistical through lines of people who end up being serial killers is that they all at one point want to be police officers. And, (laughs) and I think, or a good portion of them do. And I think, you know, that says a lot about who we give clemency to, to enact violence in this society. So there's, there's that. But I also think that there's something to this idea of cops are really the only people in, in our country that, um, get to be criminals and are not only paid to do it, but are 
lauded for it <laughs> and like are essentially terrorists and murderers um mm-hmm. and and you know our heroes um and so i totally agree with you i think he absolutely would be a police officer oh chris boy. do you ha- chris clayman do you have an answer <laughs> do you do you know what clifford would be doing if he if you were the studio exec you know just because of the world i'm ensconced in i i imagined him as some sort of like venture capitalist freak like some guy oh, who's basically that's a good one. like that's in, another you know, good running a, yeah funding a bunch of uh ad companies in silicon valley and has a slide in his office or something you know but yeah. um, <laughs> i'll go back to he's still he's still dressing up as a little kid and he's disguising oh. himself and he's finding a new family to terrorize that's what he's doing in 2015 that's genius <laughs> okay i but- like that Chris, you're making me realize that the only other, the only other adult job that in this society gets to sort of live out its, its baser instincts, its id, not maybe to the full extent that cops do, you know, in terms of murdering, although like Jeff Bezos, I don't know, is there's, there's blood on some billionaire and venture capitalist hands, but is the like tech the tech CEO, right? The like tech CEO who like has the bouncy ball and like the sand pit and they're and basically you, children. They're children and wears hoodies <laughs> to work like completely. It's a company where yeah. you can hang out and do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's cereal in the company break room, totally. Uh that's a good one, yeah. I like all the I I, I like all the the different roads we've traveled down <laughs> in terms of where this where this film should have ended up or where it actually ends up or what it's actually really about yeah <laughs> but um i want to transition now to talking a little bit about the performances in the film uh, obviously martin short amazing being his most martin short but specifically uh you know, Grodin, as as you know his passing this week was you know kind of the, the tragedy that brought us all together and uh, and he's just so incredibly impeccably funny in every single moment of this movie. Um, Carly and I were just revisiting on mul- multiple times now. We watched it and, and rewound it probably five times while we were actually watching the film and then pulled the, the clip on YouTube like another 10 times. But when they're just sitting at, at the, the sort of dinner table and, and Grodin's doing his like, if you so much as look at me funny... You go to your room, write a confession that I will take to the police, and I will not send you back to your parents. And you tell Sarah that you and I are the best of friends. And we are, aren't we? Shut up. But if you even look at me funny, if you do one thing that I find weird, which is, you know, like your middle name, you're doing it right now. Can you just act like a human boy for one minute here? Look at me like a person. You can't do it for more than a few seconds. Look at me like a human boy. Uh, if you do anything I find weird, and you know the bit of like, look, look at me like a human boy. It's and and both of them are doing incredible work in that moment. Like it's like my favorite scene in the entire movie. Martin Short's expression, that like weird like twitchy eye look that he's doing, is like hilarious. <laughs> but but it just speaks so much to like Grodin's incredible sort of just like dead, deadpan like straight man way of of doing comedy that is actually still funny mm-hmm. you know so often in these kinds of movies or, or so often in like the the funny man straight man kind of dynamic you you get all of the humor and all the ridiculousness from from the goofy guy and the straight guy is there to like simply contrast you know mm-hmm. um 
you know, plane strains and automobiles is, you know, like maybe an exception to that where they're both very funny in that regard and, and they're also great. Um, but we were, like I said, just rewatching Midnight Run recently too. And in that dynamic, oddly enough, like De Niro is actually kind of the goofball. And and Grodin manages to play like this this mm. much straighter, much more like hardline kind of serious character and still be impossibly funny, like like side splittingly funny doing this kind of work. And I I feel like it's just appropriate to take a moment to reflect on that and talk a little to bit reflect. about of of how good he is in Clifford at being that straight man, of 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 slowly being driven to a state of psychosis where he's ready to kill a child on on a roller coaster. I remember someone on Twitter called this like a Joker origin story. <laughs> I, I saw somebody um, share around on Twitter um, a, a photo from Martin Short's autobiography, and apparently uh, he was on a plane, and Nick Cage came up to him and said that he wore out his VHS watching that specific scene over and over again. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's incredible! I believe it. I believe you know, that so much. Now knowing like Nick Cage's expressions and the many faces of Cage, like he is kind of doing a more like self-serious Martin Short sometimes. <laughs> I'm thinking of him as Caster Troy specifically. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Take his face off. <laughs> that was probably the next step in, in Clifford's master plan is just like actually extracting my uncle martin's face and, and wearing yes. it and wearing it and being married to to miss sarah davis miss sarah davis uh, Bri, um, Bri touched on this earlier i mean i think it's just really about the payoff is so wonderful and sugary at the end just seeing groden finally really lose it and it's just yeah. because of his ability throughout the film to really sort of pace out his his uh his uh march towards madness like it you know it, it really comes on in subtle ways throughout the film but just the fact it, it's such a payoff at the end because of how he sets his character up throughout the whole movie it's so funny do to you watch have a him particular just, oh, scene oh go ahead i was just gonna say it's so funny to watch him in that scene um become like more delighted each time he makes the ride go faster Mm-hmm. That's just a little thing I was thinking about. <laughs> and the lighting, right? He has the like, you know, intense like neon lighting, and he's backlit. But then you see his he's face. like underlit too. It's but got I was that say, light. You see his face glowing because <laughs> he's got the screen in front of him. It's just, it's perfect. It's like mm-hmm. they're like flashing a, a a spotlight or flashlight under his face, like you know, like like a, a ghost story kind mm-hmm. of situation. <laughs> I yeah I was also you know recalling another really great like straight man goes demented movie um, what about Bob with Richard Dreyfus and and oh, Bill Murray yeah and this one goes like even further than that one you know by by the end of that movie you know Dreyfus is like you know brain dead and like institutionalized sort of but in this one like he I mean in in both of them they they become murderous by the end like their plan is to to kill the person who is like the cause of all of their issues. And uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, as much as I love Dreyfus, I still think Grodin takes the cake. Like it's, it feels as Chris said, incredibly earned. Like it's, it's, you know, mm-hmm. you're 
like a frog in in like a, a boiling beaker slowly getting turned up yep. there and and by the end of it you realize like uh this just this makes sense i'm i'm with you i agree let's kill clifford <laughs> yeah i found myself like in that set piece at the end like it was interesting to watch this as an adult as a child i remember seeing watching that scene and um you know sort of marveling at the at the um action but not necessarily like being emotionally invested in what was happening or necessarily like fully understanding like the stakes of a grown man murdering a 10 year old boy or a demon or whatever he may be. Um, but I watching it as an adult and, and this most recent time, like I, I was in real time, like watching it and thinking about the fact that I was like emotionally invested in Charles Grodin's character's success. Like, which is demented in and of itself, right? Like, but I also think it's it's a testament to what we're talking about, which is that Groden's portrayal of Martin is one that is is becomes unhinged. Yes, like that that character becomes unhinged, but he is also like insanely relatable. He's a an adult who, you know, sort of like loathes his job and is trying to do the right thing by buy the right buying the right house and uh you know he's got deadlines and he's trying to you know manage this child but he's maybe not doing uh you know a perfect job and and all those things and and at the end like wants to kill this kid and i i didn't bat an eye at one the as the escalation itself but also at my own investment in like him being successful in some form or another, whether that's actually killing Clifford or, you know, besting him in some way, I was completely on his side and like wanted him <laughs> to win. And that is just, I don't know. I think there's something to that, that the movie is able to sort of get you there and sure it's low stakes, the comedy, whatever, but it's still a man trying to murder a 10 year old boy <laughs> or, you know, this, this childlike character and, I fully wanted it to happen. Oh yeah. I think one uh one particularly important sort of color to Grodin's performances is that they're always also pretty pathetic. And so mm -hmm. uh one scene that I really loved this time around is when he's driving uh Clifford to Dinosaur World and he's obviously he's broken at that point and he wants to be scary to Clifford. Clifford's in the straitjacket in the car so he starts singing in a menacing way the Larry the Scary Rex song. He goes, Larry the Scary Rex kind of looks at him tries to scare him but uh, Clifford just looks back at him and starts singing along with him and yeah. you see Grodin's face go oh man this isn't working so he goes shut up! <laughs> like you, you, can't, you can't even successfully be scary to this kid. Which, right. Uh, it was just like I don't know. I love that piece of his performance. He's 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 got all these hopes and dreams about building a wonderful rail system for L.A. and marrying the woman of his dreams and all this stuff. But he's he's almost too pathetic to really potentially achieve all this. Like even without Clifford, his yeah. father-in-law hates him. His he's got a <laughs> weird-ass relationship with his boss, who's also horny for Mary Steenburgen. Like, it's like, it's just a messed up life he had before Clifford. So totally. he's pathetic. And he plays into yeah. that. Like, his performance plays into that really well, I think. 
Well, thousand percent. And it speaks to, you know, I think like a fearlessness on his part that so many of his characters do that, you know, like he's never afraid of being this totally like self-deprecating kind of figure of himself. Even, you know, like we were talking about uh, before we started recording about, you know, his his Carson and his Letterman performances, you know, like there's a part of him that's sort of like the the unhinged sort of hostile and, and antagonistic guest, you know, and, and he was never afraid to make himself either look like a complete loser or like an absolute asshole in any of these things, you know, and, and there's just something really magical about somebody so committed to the bit. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's impossible not to admire it and to love it, which is ultimately the payoff of it, right? Like it's like, if, if, if you are one foot in one foot out with that kind of thing, you're just going to be perceived as a loser or an asshole, mm-hmm. but, but his just like level of, uh, you know, just going all in really just, e- you have to love it and admire it and it's just like it's it's it always always worked have any of you seen um the incredible shrinking woman you're like always the only person i who think ever i'm sees the only movie. person who's ever seen this movie lily tomlin performance lily classically. tomlin is in it it's mm. excellent uh i wish it was a 90s movie because we could talk a lot about capitalism and consumerism um but lily tomlin plays a mother uh sort of you know classic frantic mom who's trying to have it all and the movie is about her literally shrinking um under the weight of it all and she she grows smaller and smaller and there's a lot there but Charles <laughs> Grodin is in the movie and this movie is all about Lily Tomlin I mean physically and sort of um just a, a commentary on you know sort of 80s uh second wave feminism women entering the workforce and all of this stuff but Charles Grodin is is uh, her counterpart, and I think of Lily Tomlin when I think of this movie. But I can't help but also think of Charles Grodin. And Chris, you're making me um, realize that one of the things I love about his performance in this movie is that he uh, he's this sort of hapless husband who. Um, his wife is growing smaller and smaller by the day and he can't do anything about it. And um, so much of his performance is uh, about his sort of inability to help her and his inability to do anything and sort of, you know, you could read that as like the fecklessness of men in the, the, the relationship there, but, but it's, it is pathetic. It's really sad. And, um, it's a comedy. Like I love the movie and it's hilarious. And it's, um, there's a lot that it's talking about that I think lots of movies back then weren't doing, but Groden's performance is memorable because there's, uh, this is an overused word, but it has pathos. And even in these characters where he's, playing against uh, a really wacky, zany, you know, um, counterpart, um, or he's in these extreme circumstances, like a 10-year-old boy played by a 40-year-old man, you know, on a dinosaur ride, or a woman who's literally shrinking, um, like, he still manages to inject the character with a certain amount of humanity that feels real and feels relatable and um and I think speaks to what what we're all talking about in terms of like his uh, his ability to really commit to a character one way or another even if the character is um 
defined by his inability to do the thing that he wants to do or or needs to do. I agree wholeheartedly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. really just a chance well, for me to plug Incredible Shrinking Woman because no one's seen it. We're going to have to yeah, hunt it down good. and watch it because I yeah, I it came up again when we were talking about Grodin and, and you talk about the film all the time. No one's ever watched it. So it's great. Yeah. Watch it. We'll, Everyone watch it. We'll find an excuse to, to check it out and, and talk about it somewhere, if not on our pod. Somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> um, I know that we're, we're pretty much at time and, and people have, have things to do with their lives today. Um, so I just want to wrap up and, you know, it'd be remiss just to also, you know, say that, you know, Martin Short is excellent here and, and that we, we love Martin Short. Um, I, I think that, you know, he's one of those people who never, they never really figured out what to do with him as a leading man. He always kind of works better as like sort of a supporting role. You know, he's also impossibly funny and like scene stealing and the littlest things he does, like, uh, like when he plays the bullet on, on Arrested Development, uh, you know, like just like those things that are just like brilliantly, wonderfully funny. Um, but it, yeah, you know, they, they give him a ton to do here and, and he, absolutely runs with it and yeah sings 40 show tunes and does dance numbers and <laughs> blows things up and it, Clifford is just a really special really special film and uh evidenced by how many people you know at one point or another uh mentioned that they wanted to be here to talk about it today so I have to applaud commend and thank our panel of Clifford uh, experts today, Brianna Ziegler, Chris Clayman, and Chris Woodward. Again, thank you all so much for being here. Thanks for thank having you. me. Thank you. Yeah, I had a good Pleasure. time. We are uh, forever indebted to you. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for for talking about this silly movie. Um, again, R.I.P. Charles Grodin, a singular comedic talent. Um, that's really it. Uh, listen to Parents Just Don't Understand. Read Brianna Ziegler. Uh, hunt down and find Chris Clayman and take him on a, a trip to Dinosaur World. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, sub- subscribe, patreon.com slash hitfactorypod. Follow us on, on Twitter, Instagram, wherever there as well. I got uh, a quick plug. Yeah, uh, plug. Yeah, so uh, uh, Travis Snyder, friend of the pod, right? Um, him and I are in a band together. We just released a record a couple weeks ago. We're going under the name Catch Pritchard, so come check us out. We're on Spotify, but Bandcamp as well got a new record out it's pretty good congratulations i've listened to a little bit of this record already and it's it's pretty fantastic chris you're one of the the best musicians i've ever met travis is king on the the pedal steel as well mm. um yeah check out catch pritchard they rule buy buy all of their their albums and merchandise <laughs> anything else to plug brianna or chris um follow my twitter discord zigs subscribe to my newsletter that's weird i have a piece dropping tomorrow on steve buscemi so hell be yeah. great. you should check it <laughs> excited out, for that only yeah. other plug i have is uh i have a couple pieces up on bloodknife.com yeah. a, a relatively new uh digital magazine about science fiction and horror um and genre in general from a leftist pr- perspective um i wrote about phantom of the paradise hell yeah and did a review Ooh. of the new saint mod uh, and I hope to have some more pieces up there soon. But otherwise, it has some amazing articles from some really brand new writers, and they're just starting to uh, publish uh, short fiction. It's just, it's one of the most exciting, uh, you know, outlets going right now. We love Blood Knife. We our, love Blood Knife. Our good friend Trevor Drinkwater, also a contributor there. <laughs> um, check out his episode on Copland yeah. with us. Um, but uh, Colin Broadmore as well, and and Kurt writes there sometimes as well. You're your co-host, right? That's- 
Well, he's actually the uh, editor, founder, and I think publisher of it. So yeah, yeah, Kurt, Kurt's the man with that. He's 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 a great editor, and uh, he has a really distinct eye for the types of pieces that fit there. And it's just a, it's just a really good time. They also have a Patreon Patreon too, and uh, it's really worth it. Absolutely yeah. is. Check out Blood Knife. Check out That's Weird. Check out Catch Pritchard. Follow these people. Learn everything you can about them. Um, again, panel, thank you so much for being here. Um, and we will catch you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. It only takes a tiny call.